0: Welcome to the Naples Community Church Podcast with Pastor Kurt Anderson. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you find this sermon inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you perspective to see God moving in your life. We trust God has great things in store for you. Enjoy today's message. And now, Father, even as you poured out your spirit on that day of Pentecost, and and distributed gifts among the apostles. Lord, may our hearts and lives be open to the gifts that you give to us for the furtherance of your work in the world. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, one of the the tough things about church is that thinking about the day of Pentecost, God didn't pour his spirit out so that Christians would make a church. He created the church. He made the church so that we would be Christian, so that we would go forth from places such as this, from gatherings such as on the day of Pentecost, and go and, and act out our faith and make the faith, and make the the reality of Christ visible to the world. That's what happened on the day of Pentecost, and that's what happens with us. So the church is always at its best, not when we're here, but when we're there, acting out the faith that has animated our lives. So we are the body of Christ out there, but we have to come here. We've gotta be in fellowship with one another. We've gotta connect with each other. We, We come together to reinforce the reality of God's power and work within our hearts and lives. So we have to be here. We have to start here and end out there and start again every week. And in that way, the Lord uses all of us as the body of Christ to reinforce something that that is at work within our hearts. So the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Corinth and talking to them, this almost chaotic church, about how important it is to understand the diversity that we are to be as a church and that in reality we are. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews. Some of us are Gentiles. Some of us are slaves. Some of us are free. But we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit. And we all share the same spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not a hand, that does not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, I am not a part of the body because I'm not an eye, what, would that, what, what that make, would that make any sense as a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? If the whole body were an ear, how would you smell? But our bodies have many parts. And God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange what a body would be if it were only one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. The parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care, and so we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen while the more honorable parts do not require this special care. So God has put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for one another. If one part suffers, all parts suffer with it. If one part is honored, all parts are glad. As of As of you together, all of you together are the body of Christ. Each one of you are part of it. May God add his understanding to this hearing of his word. So I'm going to share three, pardon me, four brief profiles. And think about how you envision and how you viscerally respond to this image. First, a Spanish-speaking immigrant woman raised in poverty in a dictatorship who comes to America as a young adult and works a minimum wage job. Second, a politically conservative young man from an upper-middle-class family who studies at an Ivy League university. Third. A farmhand in rural Idaho who spends his days driving a combine and his free time hunting and fishing. Fourth, a girl orphaned at birth in a small village in China, who later winds up against all odds, living in the United States. So we have four profiles, and depending on all kinds of stuff that we have whether inherited from our families or, or we have ginned up in our conversations with other people, we develop a particular kind of response. Even though we don't know who these four people are, we have a a predetermined response that we want. We would easily discuss or talk about, and so we. Um, You know, before I went to Princeton Seminary, I went with a bias about those smug Northeasterners. When I got there, and I got to know people personally, all that, all that went away, and they were just people—people with every conceivable gift and challenge. Strength and weakness, they're just people. In the early part of the 20th century, a Stanford sociologist believed that the intense bias and prejudice against Chinese on the West Coast, well, that people were voicing those biases and exercising those biases. But he wondered how it would actually be if people saw a Chinese couple face-to-face and were faced with the chance to serve them a meal or, or house them at a hotel. And so he sent out a young couple, beautiful Chinese couple. And time after time after time, they went to these hotels all over the West that advertised that they would not serve Chinese people. But then they got there to one hotel after another, and 90% of them accepted them. In other words, it's one thing for us to have that kind of initial bias. It's another thing altogether to actually see people and get to know them and to understand them. Well, the interesting thing about these four individuals, if you know who Arthur Brooks is, he's a former president of the, of the American Enterprise Institute. That is his wife and three kids. That kind, kind of diversity in a family. But what he says of his family is that he, as different as they are, he loves them all intensely. And that's it's kind of what church is supposed to be. You know what? It just doesn't matter. Whatever distinctions we gin up, whatever we might think before somebody actually enters those doors. I mean, there's a reason why I say oftentimes on Sunday mornings, don't let anyone out of here without putting a love on them first, especially if you don't recognize them. <laughs> Put a love on one another. Because that's what the body of Christ is all about. That's why we're here. You know, a, a real reason not to go to church is the people. We all know this. How many times have we heard the story about, well, I went to the church, that church and people were cold. They just talked to one another. They didn't talk to me. I had no connection with anyone there. One of the the lovely things about having a a little church is we're too little to form cliques. We're so small, we have to love one another. We're stuck with one another. And having had a 4,000-member church up in Michigan and then having this one here, I'll take this one any day, and it's not about weather. But how often it is that People are turned off to church because, also, they, they may have picked up a comment here and there. Because people will make those kinds of judgments and then say something. And, and people go running away. Let's face it, people come into church, sort of like that video I played, They they come in with all kinds of reasons why Jesus shouldn't accept them, why he ought to give heaven to somebody else. And and yet they come because they think just maybe this is the source of living water here. And they don't need church to be judging them. They're already pretty good at judging themselves. And so how critical it is for, for us as a, that guy's going straight to hell for driving by a <laughs> car. <out there. laughs> how important it is for us to not judge one another. <laughs> to withhold our, our nasty, are nasty presuppositions and predispositions toward others. It's always good when the people of God come together with the understanding that in Jesus Christ there's no Jew or Greek, meaning also that there are no, there are no Jews or Greeks or Catholics or Mormons or, or whatever. There are also no Protestants or Catholics, pardon me, No Democrats or Republicans. (laughs) All of that is irrelevant, irrelevant. Now you realize Collier County is 60% Republican, 40% Democratic. LA County is 70% Democratic, 30% Republican. Imagine if the church defined itself along those lines. If a church goes political, it excludes people. It's also not, not doing its job. Our job is not politics. I'm about as good at politics as I am at automobile repair. It's not our job. It's not our work. But we need that among us. Now picture the reality of our fellowship as a church like a, like a wheel and you come with your gifts and capabilities, your opinions, your perspectives, and you're one of the spokes in that wheel. If that wheel is to be balanced, we need that opposite spoke. We need somebody on the other side who has other kinds of gifts and capabilities. I do this, but I'm lousy at cookies and coffee. Well, what is more important? I'm not so sure. If there was an embargo on coffee, could the church survive? (laughs) The reality is, we, all of us, function together. All of us come together and we leave our differences at the door. Doesn't mean we don't have different opinions. Of course we do. But that's all just part of the fun of being together. The calling is clear, and that is to be reflective of the reality of God's love for us. We don't deserve God's love. It's come to us purely as grace. It's come to us as a gift. And so, we we love one another. Those that we easily love as well as those that we have to set aside whatever biases or prejudices or whatever it is that we may have to set aside beforehand and thereby act out what it means to be a Christian, to be in the body of Christ. The diversity of the church is not based on, on on our skin color. It can be that. But it's not necessarily that. The diversity of the church is always about the diversity of our backgrounds, where we've come from. And that is a diversity that, that lends to the challenge of health for us as a people. And so we come in and we may see someone, that we wish weren't here. God brought them here. The Lord took that initiative. We think we get up in the morning, we make a decision whether or not we're going to church on our own volition. The reality is we have been prompted. It doesn't have to be anything other than, well, maybe we ought to go to church today. Maybe. Maybe. And we do. And so the fellowship of God's people is an absolutely necessary, critical thing. If if what I do and Billy Dean and Don do is the meat and potatoes, the fellowship is a secret sauce. It's what makes it so tasteful and tasty to be here as God's children as we come together. Somehow in the midst of it all, the church, not only survives, it continues to thrive. The reality of the church's history, and we've just heard about the Southern Baptist Convention, and it just makes us mad. We've, we've been living with what's going on in the Catholic Church for a long time now, and it, it just is an, a, more than an embarrassment. It just, it's just awful. And all I can say, that's That's church. That's church. G.K. Chesterton, at least five times with the Aryan and the Albigensian and the humanist skeptic after Voltaire and after Darwin, the faith has had, has to all appearances gone to the dogs. And in each of these five cases, it is the dogs that died. It would seem that sooner or later, its enemies will learn from their incessant and indeterminable disappointments not to look for anything so simple as the church's death. It may continue to war with it, but it will as they war with nature. But it, is, but it is as if they were at war with nature. As they war with the landscape, as they war with the skies, they will watch for it to stumble, they will watch for it to err, they will no longer watch for its end because the church will stumble the church will err, but the church will not end because we are, we are the Lord's work. We are the body of Christ. So in high school, I said to my dad, 14, 15 years old, probably when I was the smartest I have ever been. I said, Dad, I don't want to go to church. they are all a bunch of hypocrites. They say one thing, do another. They go to church and then they, then they uh, act like so pious on a Sunday morning, but then they're doing all kinds of other stuff during the week. And Dad said, Son, that's why you're welcome. <laughs> and he was joking, but it was true. And I went. I wore cut-off jeans and a cut-off sweatshirt. I was going to make a statement. But I, I wasn't really there. I was there striking a pose. I was posturing. But then I fell in with Young Life. Then I knew fellowship. Then I knew what it was to be with other people. In this case, it was my age, but it was high school kids from from North High School, Ramona High School, and Pauley High School. And we came together. It was such a large gathering of kids that we had to use the the auditorium, the Riverside Civic Auditorium. Three, four hundred kids. And leaders who who were nuts, Young Life leaders who were crazy, funny but then a talk that was powerful and meaningful, and then, and then the fellowship, before and after. And I knew I belonged. And then part of that fellowship was, I was at Woodleaf in Northern California. I was working with horses. And one of the camp leaders said, he said, Kurt, you know, I think you've got a gift of working with people. Maybe you should think about going into something where you'll work with people. And I thought, oh, no, I'm going to end up being a minister. (laughs) So I fought it and fought it and fought it, and I applied for law school. and, And then there I was on the top of one of the Sierra Nevada mountains with a bunch of high school kids and knew that's what I had to do. But it was the fellowship of God's people that prompted me in in that that direction. Not acting like an an early 70s social welfare or a a social warrior, rather, going to church in in sweatshirt and that kind of stuff. Not not posing and posturing in front of all of those hypocrites that constituted the church. It was just being with people. Being with people. And that's why the fellowship is so very important. That we be with one another. We share with one another. We love one another. And then there are times when things go wrong and we can can call upon one another. We can be there for one another. It's not just the pastor. Because I'm not the whole church. But we support, love, and care for one another. Encourage one another. That's church. Church. And then we go out there and try to live it. Do the best we can. Try to do the right thing with our lives. That's church. Will you join me in prayer? Lord, we're not all that we should be. But one day by your power, we will be all that you've made us to be. And so we thank you and praise you for your grace, for your mercy, and for your empowerment that loves us through all the stuff that we do, all the wrong choices. And Lord, give us the ability always to find the joy that you have stored up for us. And as a joyful, winsome body of people, may we be truth-bearers, love-bearers to the world that is longing to know you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you enjoyed today's podcast, there are a few things you can do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at www.naplescommunitychurch.org. If you happen to be visiting Naples, please drop in for our Sunday service at 10 a.m. We'd love to meet you. Thanks again for joining us. Have a fabulous day.